0: Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at CityLifelancing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Good morning, guys. How you guys feeling? Y'all good? That's good, man. I'm just getting my notes ready. You know, just warming up. I'm just walking out here. It's good to see you guys, man. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Devin. I'm a minister in training here, and just have the privilege to speak to you guys today, uh, jumping off our moment series, Leading to the Cross. And this series is so powerful because it's, it's really kicking off and starting with the greatest moment that ever happened was Jesus on the cross dying for the sins of humanity, you and me. But that big moment is actually a collection of really small moments. And just like your life, you've maybe had a life-changing moment, something that was huge, and I can't step that far forward. Shout out to the tech team, Mike, little, little, little kickback. We've all had moments that change everything, but oftentimes what you find is, you ever heard the phrase, an overnight success took 10 years? In the same way, we have these big moments that change us, and yet they started with these small little moments. Stuff that we didn't really see, we didn't connect the dot yet, but somehow God was weaving and using it to impact our lives. And so today we're going to be jumping off with that series and looking at the moment actually that kicked off Jesus' journey to the cross. And before we get started, I just want to say something really quick, that Sundays are better because of you and that it's no accident that you're here. Sometimes church can become really rote and it's a bunch of people gathering, but to be a king's kid, to be a child of God is the best miracle that could ever happen, period. And so for us to gather here is no accident and it's not something normal or average or common, but it is Holy. And so we, we just closed our last series, the Sabbath series. And, uh, you know, I love my little sister and I love siblings because siblings always tell you the truth. And uh, I just started learning Sabbath, so I'm kind of growing alongside you guys. But uh, she said a few weeks ago, uh, she said, <laughs> it's awesome. She goes, uh, she goes, you know, Devin, Devin wants to look like he's doing Sabbath really well, but he doesn't actually Sabbath really well. <laughs> And I was like, dang, gut check, but it was good because I'm still learning and growing in the content, but it has been life-changing. And when we looked at Sabbath, there were four words that really captured it. it was stop, put the phone down, put the work down, put the anxiety away, stop, God is good. Rest, enjoy God's gifts. Delight, God's given you amazing things. And then worship, remember the one who gave you the amazing things. And so that's it, that content's been changing me and practicing the way. I'm not a fanboy, but I'm close. Uh, go on the website, man. They've got some great content, and hope you guys have been enjoying groups and going through that together. We're going to jump into this next series that actually begins with a Sabbath. And I, saw, I didn't see this movie in 2004, but maybe some of you heard it. It's called The Butterfly Effect. You guys ever heard of it? Okay, crazy concept. I remember being a teenager and just my mind being blown that, and I don't know if this is true, okay, so don't, like, hold me to it, but the idea that a butterfly's wings flapping can actually create something massive on the other side of the globe like a hurricane. And I thought to myself, that is unbelievable, no way. And I never saw the movie, so now it's on my movie list, I might go watch it, but, um, But that concept, the idea that these small moments, these little deposits, can actually have incredibly big impact is what we're going to jump into today. And so to enter the scene, Jesus, just coming off of Luke 5, has been healing people, delivering people from demons. He's been calling disciples and and really starting and kicking off his ministry. And then jumping into Luke 6 is where we're going to start today. And it says this, if you want to pull up 1 through 5 on the screen. It says, on a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Does anybody know someone like the Pharisees? Nitpicking. Me. Every detail's got to be right. Every dot, every line, it's got to be perfect. And if not, man, well, who cares if you're hungry? That was the posture of the Pharisees. But Jesus, something so brilliant about Jesus, Jesus understood what the Pharisees seemed to miss that the human need of the moment transcended some really basic ceremonial laws. But you gotta understand, man, the Pharisees get a really bad rap. They're more disciplined, more focused than I will ever be in my entire life. Period. More committed. Memorize the first five books of the Bible by 13. Jedis. But, Jedi, Star Wars reference, if you don't know what that means. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, inner nerd coming out. But they were incredibly disciplined, incredibly disciplined people. But their commitment to the scriptures and their commitment to God's law caused them to miss the point. You see, Israel was in a period of silence, 400 years. God had taken his presence for them because Israel was disobedient. And so in a response to this, because they were so desperately afraid of being left alone, so desperately afraid of not having their needs met, they created rules and regulations around God's holy day, his Sabbath. Sorry, I got baby ears, so my mic's going to fall off. They created these rules and regulations so that they wouldn't possibly, potentially, in any shape, form, or fashion, break the law. They were so afraid. They guarded and put as much wisdom as they could around a day that was holy to the Lord. But what Jesus was showing through David is that while the Pharisees were nitpicking this little detail that actually wasn't even against God's law, David actually broke God's law, and somehow God wasn't angry. And it started to make the Pharisees question And Jesus ends with this line. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, if I'm not offended by it, why should you be? Jesus was placing himself back at the center of Israel's worship and understanding of what it meant to follow the law. But the Pharisees didn't fully get it. So Jesus, because Jesus likes controversy, he doesn't always get away from it. A week later, bless you, uh, a week later on the Sabbath, Luke 6, 6 through 11, Jesus is gonna show us when wrong is actually right. And here's what happens. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he... All looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand, and he did so. And the hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, the Pharisees, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the moment. This is the moment where it begins Jesus' journey to the cross. See, Jesus in this moment equates withholding the good you should do for someone with doing evil to that person. And that's a gut check. Because I could not count the number of times where I have found it easier to avoid doing the good thing because I was obsessed with doing the right thing. See, the truth of the matter is, y'all, when you look at this, you have to wonder, why would the Pharisees be so angry? Well, it's the same reason I would be because I have a confession to make. I'm a recovering Pharisee. The Sabbath was a day to the Lord that we just learned, right? To Jesus, a day to honor Yahweh. And the primary description of Yahweh in the Old Testament was a God who was gracious and compassionate, patient and long-suffering, who cares about the needs of human beings. But the Pharisees so obsessed with the rules, so obsessed with the day, that they took a day that was meant to honor God who was gracious and compassionate and used the rules as an excuse to not do the good thing that Jesus would do. They took something that was supposed to be holy and honorable and was meant for rest and was a gift of grace and it was life-giving, and they turned it into something that actually prevented them and excused them from doing the good thing. And I do the same thing. Back to my sister because she is wise beyond her years. And she should preach this sermon on me because she's watched me go through it. But there is something in me, and I think in everyone, that is a little pharisaical. Cool. she said to me one time. We were talking about personality types. Anyone all into the personality stuff? It's awesome. It's all the rage. And I, I said, I said, uh, I said, you know, my personality type, man. I just, you know, I don't like rules, man. I'm a rebel. I'm a maverick. Kind of do my own thing. You know what I'm saying? Can nobody tell me nothing? And uh, and my sister, in her wisdom, she goes, No, it's not that you don't like rules. It's that you want to make the rules so everyone else has to follow them. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dang. Fire. Ouch. (laughs) You see, our religion guys, just like the Pharisees have, will tell us what is right. It's a system of interacting with God, and that's not all bad. We do need answers to what is right. But oftentimes, the Pharisee and me and the Pharisee and you, I kind of have this gear, I have this button, this thing that if the situation isn't perfect and right and clear and everyone isn't doing the right thing, that I get so frustrated I can't even hear you. Ask the team. I get so overwhelmed with the fact that, man, it's not right, it's not perfect, it's not controllable. And I think it's because the Pharisees' heart was afraid. They were scared, and maybe you are too. But I think the reason that we choose what's right and controllable is because our images of God are a God that is distant and far and rigid and cold and unconcerned with our needs. And we can't imagine that he would actually know what we're going through. And then because of that, we think, okay, well, if God isn't really for me, if the good isn't really for me, then I have to manipulate my situation to get what I need and what I want. That was the sin of the Pharisees. Instead of admitting their need and coming broken, they thought, no, nah, we need to perform for God. See, what Jesus showed in this moment is that oftentimes we use the right as an excuse to prevent ourselves from doing the good because It's easier. It's easier. Just to be honest, it's easier to see the needs of others and say, man, that's not really my, ah, it's not my problem. But what Jesus is after in this moment is not human beings who would just do the right thing. Not people who would say, man, I know, God, you're gracious and compassionate, but I'm not supposed to work today, so I'm not gonna be gracious and compassionate. Jesus is after a transformation of your will and your intention. So, that instead of being people who are obsessed with getting everything perfectly right, Jesus wants you to be so confident in His goodness for you that you'll want to do the good thing. That you'll look for ways to embody God's character and His nature and His love and His kindness to those around you. He wants a transformation of your will so that the compass of your life is not, man, am I getting it right? Man, am I doing everything perfectly? Y'all, that is a heavy burden to carry. And if you're in this room today and you're feeling the exhaustion of having to be perfect to perform for whatever people or place or thing or idea that you experience, Jesus wants to liberate you from that today. That instead of the pressures of having to conform to an image that you know you don't stack up to, because guess what? I don't stack up to the good image. Not perfectly. Maybe in moments. Maybe I can foster up some energy and look good for a second in front of you. And maybe, guess what, I want you to like me while I'm preaching here on stage. And I want you to respect me and respond to me, right? But Jesus wants not the pressure of this moment to define me, but then behind the stage moment. The moment where my identity is so rooted in his goodness for me and its availability to me and you that I would be confident. And not have to perform. It's exhausting trying to be right all the time. And it's even more exhausting trying to make everybody else right. Shout out parents in the room. My goodness, you already know. I don't have kids yet, but Lord willing, when I do one day. See, the problem was that the disciples may have missed the mark of the law. They may have been off on the little details. The Pharisees missed the point. The point was that God wanted rest for his children, and it's really hard to rest when you're hungry. And I wonder if maybe the Pharisees' response should have been critical, but I wonder if what if they'd fed the disciples themselves? so concerned about the law, so concerned about it being kept, why not feed the disciples with your own food? Because their hearts were exposed. It wasn't that they loved God and loved his law. Well, it wasn't the case. It was that they liked being right. That's why it's called self-righteousness. Because it's about you being right, not us being made right. That's the problem. And there's a Pharisee in me, and maybe there's a Pharisee in you, But Jesus was exposing, one, that the Pharisees didn't really love their neighbor. But second, that they didn't really love God either. And they didn't even know what God wanted. They had no idea. And I'll be honest, that's embarrassing. As a leader to come up and say, man, I don't fully get the one thing that's my job. A little embarrassing. But Jesus wants to change the direction of our lives from looking at how can I be right all the time and not be wrong. To a place of how can I do the most good in the world that God has given me with my gifts and my talents and my unique moment and your unique moment and your unique story with your unique family and all the weirdness that comes with it. Come on now, it's okay. We're all a little bit weird. One of my favorite things Ryan Gonzalez says is that city life is amazing because everybody fits because nobody fits. And Jesus came for misfits. And guess what, he came for Pharisees too. But the issue with the Pharisees is, guess what, their religion kept them from thinking that they needed God. That's why it's so dangerous, because you think you're doing what God wants. Whereas sinners, as would be described in the scriptures, knew they needed something outside of themselves. They knew goodness was outside of them. The Pharisees were blind to it. And then they tried to make everybody else conform to their narrow definition of goodness, and it was strangling. It was lifeless, it was joyless. It's robotic. And I'm I'm a very practical person, hence Pharisee, heart. Um, and so I always ask the question, and I get here probably too fast because, again, the Lord is healing this in me. Outside of the healing touch of Jesus, y'all, like, I default to control and Pharisee because I want my life to look like how I want it to. But I always ask the how question really fast. I get there really quick. And Jesus is gracious. Oftentimes, he tells me, slow down. And I thought I would start thinking about David. And when I was young, uh, and maybe you know the story of David, David was a king in Israel's time, one of the most famous people in the scriptures and uh, really revered by a lot of people. But you also might know about David is that he has one of the most atrocious stories because of his incredible sinfulness. I mean, for a king in his place to kill his own people for his benefit. I mean, the, the stories are endless. You can read them in the scriptures. But there's a phrase about David that Christians really grab onto. It calls him a man after God's own heart. I remember being a young man in the faith. And I was like, yes, that's who I want to be. A man after God's own heart. And, and very similar to the Pharisees, I took that understanding to mean that someone who was passionate about God's law, who, was, who had a ton of grit, who called everyone and myself to repentance all the time, was disciplined and focused and didn't give an inch to sin and didn't give an inch to darkness, but was militant about it. But then as you start to meditate a little bit, and there's a Christian way to meditate, for those of you wondering. But as I started to meditate on the text a little bit, it's, the scripture is called David a man after God's own heart. And the picture that came to mind, I'm not saying this, this is thus saith the Lord, but, I, but the Lord does use our imaginations. But as I'm sitting meditating on this, I realized the phrase after was, is really compelling. It's very interesting. And I started to get the picture of a kid that's walking with his dad, following his father's direction. If you've ever seen a kid that's free, that's having fun, right? You go to the store, and uh, parents are doing shopping, focused on their thing. But the kid that's free, right, is around there looking at toys. You know what I'm saying? They're grabbing snacks. And then their mom's like, put that back. But they're grabbing snacks, right? They're kind of exploring. They're discovering. They're trying to find out. But then when their parents call them, they come right back to their parents. That's a good healthy dynamic. I started to get this picture of David as a kid who was joyful, who was not passionate about himself being right, was passionate about his father. David was passionate about God's will and direction, and I started to realize that the joy that you and I all crave, the way to actually follow Jesus and all the commands that he has, and yet not feel like they're a burden that we have to live up to and we don't fit into, is a place of joyful surrender. Joyful surrender. See, Jesus is so kind to us. that Sometimes we can get so pressured by the commandments and the things that we think we have to live up to and do. The ought to's are endless, y'all, endless. And they can tyrannize you. I don't think the Pharisees enjoyed being Pharisees. But the place that you come to freedom, the way that you get to experience life and life to the full like Jesus offered, is that you have to surrender your will to his. And it doesn't mean you ignore your personality you ignore your desires. It means that like David, like a man after God's own heart, like a kid that joyfully trusts their dad, you're following his will and direction. And guess what? When you do that, he gives you back your own that when you surrender to him, guess what? God actually gives you everything you need. You find yourself free and able to explore, and then when you do mess up or you do make a mistake, God is good, he's not rigid, he's kind. And he says, no, no, come back to this way, we're going this direction, and you and I keep, we walk off, we're having fun, we go find something, and then he says, no, no, come back to, come back to center, come back to center with me. See, David had an atrocious track history, Yet he's called a man after God's own heart because in his sin, especially in the moments of his deepest shame, especially in the moments that he would rather not tell anybody, David came back to his father. He joyfully surrendered, recognizing that God was ultimately good and God didn't want to crush him. God didn't want to hurt him. and God doesn't want to crush you and God doesn't want to hurt you or hurt me. What God wants to do is free us from our need to be right, from our definitions of greatness, from our definitions of what will make us valuable and worthwhile. God wants to liberate us from those. He wants to take care of them so that you and I can then be free to do the most good in the world that we can. That all the creativity you've been given, that all the abilities you have that God put inside your body and your mind can be liberated and used in a way for the benefit of others instead of for our own selfish desires. But first, we have to surrender those. Because I'll be honest, my desires, the ones that I hide, the one that the Pharisee tries to cover up, have crushed me and have crushed those I love. But Jesus wants to say, man, if, you, if you'll bring those to me, I'll heal you like the man with the hand. If you'll come to me in faith and you'll respond to my call, I'll heal you. And I was thinking about this, and about why the Pharisees might act this way. God in the flesh is walking around healing people. And there is so funny, they said they were looking to see if Jesus would heal someone so they might accuse him because he didn't do it right. And I was just like, it's just so insane. But that didn't cause repentance for them. The son of God is walking around on the ground and healing people and it didn't cause repentance. It didn't say, man, I want to follow. I think it's because the Pharisees were scared. When I was 13, I was playing basketball and, uh, and loved the game Love the game, and basketball is kind of the metaphor that my life plays out on, where I get to see my heart exposed, and so I use a lot of basketball metaphors. So if you're not an athlete, I, I apologize. It just kind of is my default. But um, there's a moment where I, I was playing uh, travel basketball, and I'm 13 years old, and uh, I, th- I may have had a good game. I don't know. My mom could tell you. But we are we in the car, we we're talking afterwards, and she'd seen some hesitation in me, some fear. She asked me the question. She said, "Are you scared to be good?" And as I thought about it, I just realized the answer was yes. And it wasn't because I lacked the skill and it wasn't because I didn't work hard. I actually loved the game, committed to it, hours in the gym. And it's not to say I'm sweet, it was just the passion of the time and, oh, that's, that's sweet. <laughs> but what, what I, it's awesome. Still my baby! Um, <laughs> What I <laughs> What I realized was was that goodness was a standard that I didn't think I could consistently hit because I'd seen my own failures so often. And I'd got this image in my brain that the good wasn't actually for me. And that maybe I could muster it up for a moment and have a good game, but, but on the long haul, I would just disappoint myself and others. And, and I wasn't really planning on sharing this, and it's quite vulnerable, but, but I, th- we talk about lies here in identity because we live out of our imaginations of ourselves. We live out of our self-experience, our identity. And one of the lies that I hear most often is that, Devin, everything you do will not eventually work, you won't get what you want, and you will be disappointed. And that lie pervades on a daily basis And it doesn't drive me every day. Some days it does, others it doesn't. But as I thought about that, it tied me to this question of good because I realized that basketball was just a metaphor for everything else in my life. That I didn't believe that God's goodness was for me and the parts that didn't line up with that I had to hide. And because of that, I thought the good wasn't for me and that I couldn't let Jesus heal me. And so maybe that's you in the room today. You're like the Pharisees. We see God's perfect holy standard, we respect it, but we see how we don't fit in that image. And we think, okay, those parts I can't bring. Or maybe you're the other side, what the scriptures were called the sinners or the younger brothers, and we're all sinners, so it's just a phrase that was of the time that the Pharisees used. But the other side is that you thought that God wasn't actually good because you saw how your desires and your wants didn't fit, and so you didn't say that you weren't good, you actually said that he wasn't good. And Jesus' call is actually to both groups today. That for the Pharisee, that, man, maybe the way your heart doesn't line up, maybe I could heal that for you, but you have to give it to me. And then for the younger brothers, which are the stories we celebrate so often in the scriptures and in Christianity because they're so big and flashy and it's a change of heart, have you considered that maybe, potentially, the God that made you knows what is actually good? These are the stories where sometimes it's they have to get to the end of their rope. But the truth is both the Pharisee and the younger brother and the sinners both have to get to the end of themselves to recognize the good is actually for you. It is. Every one of you, every single one of you, And today, my hope is that I want you to be free from the need to be right, the need to be great, the need to be whatever you have in the back of your head that torments you, that when you lay awake at night, you wonder if you hit it, you wonder if you did it right. To be free of that so you can be liberated like a kid again to do as much good as you can, because that's what Jesus made you to do. And the way in is through surrender. And because we're in the moment series, and I won't hit on this a ton, but Jesus' moment here with the Pharisees, the one that exposes their hearts and leads to the cross is, it points to the cross and I'll just touch on this very briefly and then we'll worship, but the cross is the moment where Jesus frees you from your need to be right, your need to perform, your need to be something that you're not, because it demonstrates his goodness. Jesus doesn't only do the right thing, which would be punishing us for our sin, he does the good thing, And worship team, sorry I didn't call you back to the stage. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Jesus doesn't always do what's right. God doesn't always do what's right. What's right would be condemning you and I. But Jesus does the good thing. He dies for the sins of humanity. Your sin and mine becomes drowned in an ocean of divine love. And he remembers it no more so that you and I never have to worry again about are we right, are we perfect, are we okay, are we performing well enough, are we worthy? The answer is yes. In Jesus, the good is for you. If you're doubting that today, I, I would just ask, maybe ask the Lord that he would make it real to you personally. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna worship. We're gonna end with worship. And the song All Hail King Jesus really is about what Jesus did leading to the cross that would free us from our need to be right. It would liberate us from that. So if that's you today, whether you're in one camp or the other, man, it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. you. If you're questioning, it's for you. If you're picturing your sin right now, it's for you. So the team is gonna lead us in worship and then hopefully we'll have the best Sunday of our lives. But uh, yeah, you guys wanna take it away? I just, uh, I just I just, wanna pray a blessing over you guys really quick as we go about our day. Let's just pray. Jesus, you know how lonely it's been. You know about late nights. You know about the endless questions. You know about the insecurity and the lack of feeling safe. You know our lack of confidence, God. God, I pray today the image of you healing the man, of doing what is good for us, not just what is right, would sear into our imaginations that we'd be transformed by that image that we could be free today, that we could worship you today as the king who's conquered everything, who's conquered all of our darkness, conquered all of our failures, all of our weakness, and you still call us good in you. You still call us kids. You still call us home. You still want us despite all the times we haven't been good. God, I pray for a transformation of identity right now, of the way we see ourselves, that we would receive your goodness for us right now in Jesus. Tina, let's do, let's do one more.
1: You don't have to use us, but you still do. You don't have to choose us, but you still move we're gathered.
0: us today in person online man you're a part of it go to the connect center talk about it share it. man just i don't know just be open be you there's freedom and space to be you today whatever that looks like so we love you guys we'll be back here next week 10 a.m and 11 30 all races all faces all ages we're gonna keep loving the city one life at a time and we won't stop until jesus makes all things new have the best week of your life y'all